You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Psalm chapter number 18 and verse number 18. If we could, let's read together verse number 18 through verse number 27. Ready? Begin. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also upright before him, and I kept thyself from mine iniquity. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the forward, thou wilt show thyself forward. For thou wilt save the afflicted people, but wilt bring down high looks. And let's pray. Our Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We certainly want to do... Uh, the very best we can. I want to, as the pastor of this church and as the uh, preacher that's standing here tonight, I want to do my very best to rightly divide the word of truth. I pray that it would be a help. Lord, I've tried to study. I've tried to prepare. I've prayed. Uh, but I know that there is, there's no, no doubt that there are many needs in this room that I know nothing of. And so I know that I won't say everything that these dear folks need to hear tonight, but I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would speak through me, and I pray you would speak to hearts. I pray that the Word of God would be uh, delivered in the proper and the right way, and I pray that it would go forth with power to help us, to encourage us, to strengthen us for the, uh, the burdens that we're carrying, but also the battles that we will face in the days ahead. I thank you that there is victory in Jesus. I thank you that your word has the answers. And we are so grateful to be able to hold in our hands the very word of God. And we know it's powerful. I pray that you'd help us to take it, apply it, help us to listen. And I pray that we would receive it tonight with open hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Psalm 18, we're picking up in verse 18 where we left off uh, two Sunday nights ago. But I need you to see verse 17 just to know who we're talking about in verse 18. David is, of course, talking about this psalm of victory, how that God delivered him not only out of the hand of Goliath and not only the hand of Saul, but David says that God delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies. Aren't you glad that our God is able to give all victory? He's able to give all strength. He is the God of all comfort. I'm so glad God doesn't tell us. He says, you know, I'm going I'm to help you 50% of the time and the other 50% you're on your own. I'm glad God's not looking at the calendar this week and saying, you know, 
I can help you Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and maybe Sunday. The rest of the days, you got to figure it out. I'm glad that our God is able to help us with every battle, every trial, every struggle that we face, and his word has the answer. Look at verse 17. David said, God delivered me from my strong enemy. How many of you know that there's some strong enemies out there? We're facing some very strong and powerful enemies. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There's some, there's some strong enemies out there. But God delivered him from a strong enemy and from them which hated me, David said, for they were too strong for me. And we said two weeks ago on Sunday night, the enemy was too strong for David. But the enemy was not too strong for David's God. Our God is able. Our God is greater. So then in verse 18, David says, they, that is the, the strong enemy, they prevented me in the day of my calamity. Now that word prevented, it means to be confronted. And by the way, that's what enemies do, right? Enemies try to stop you. Enemies try to stand in your way. Enemies try to keep you from your objective, from your goal. And David said, in my case, the enemy got in the way. They confronted me. But notice when they confronted David. It says they confronted him in the day of his what? Calamity. You know what a day of calamity is? That's a bad day. That's a day when everything is going wrong. Now, you probably never have days like that. But there are some days where you just think, I'd like for just one thing to go right on this day. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there? And the day of calamity is a bad day. But here's what David says. It was a bad day. I was at my weakest, I was at my lowest, I was at my most vulnerable, and on that day, the enemy came and the enemy tried to stop me from doing what God had called me to do. That is how the enemy operates. You know why? Because the enemy's not dumb. The enemy is going to look to catch you in your weakness. The enemy is going to try to catch you when you're at your lowest, because the devil knows that if he can get you at that time, he might be able to get you and mess you up in some other areas too. I'll give you an example. Brother Graham is uh, coaching our basketball team, and I'm excited for our basketball team. It's going to be starting soon, brand new. Uh, many of these guys have never played basketball. But I remember when I was playing basketball, I remember our coach would tell us things like this. He would say, our opponent. They're not good at handling the ball. So you know what we would do? We would allow them to dribble without, we'd actually escort them to the basket, you know? How many of you know that's not true? We put extra pressure on those guys. Our coach would say, time out, time out. We'd come and we'd huddle. Coach would say, guys, these guys can't dribble. He said, I don't think these guys can dribble and chew bubble gum at the same time. I don't know if you quite said it like that, but that was the idea I got. And he said, we're going to put a full court press on. It's not even the end of the game. And he'd say, and then if they get through the full court press, he said, we're going to do half court traps. He said, we are going to exploit their weakness. You say, oh, that's not fair. That's life. That's how you play. 
Uh, I remember, I, I know we played against some guys, and, and the coach would say, that guy cannot even dribble with his left hand. So you know what you do? You force him to dribble with his left hand. That's his weakness. Some of you that you've heard this expression, you know what this is. For any basketball fan you do. Years ago, there was this thing in basketball. It was called hack a shack. Shaquille O'Neal was a great NBA basketball player. You know what he was great at? He was great at slam dunking. He broke backboards. I'm talking about glass backboards. He was an animal. He was a beast. You couldn't stop this guy. He'd get down low, and he would slam that basketball so hard, nobody wanted to get in the way. So you know what teams started doing? They started fouling him. And he'd go to the free throw line. And that poor guy, he was an NBA All-Star Hall of Famer, but he had a hard time hitting the backboard with a free throw. He was terrible. And you know what they did? They capitalized on the weakness. And Satan this week is going to capitalize on your weakness. He's going to catch you when you're discouraged this week. He's going to catch you when you're sick. He's going to catch you when you're tired. He's not going to wait till you're prepared and you've just got done, you know, filled with the Spirit. You're fired up. You're ready to go. And he's coming after you. Most of the time, that's not how it works. Most of the time, he's going to catch you in the day of your calamity. He's going to catch you when you're going through a hard time physically. He's going to catch you when you're depressed. He's going to catch you when you're having a hard time in a marriage. He's going to catch you when you're having a hard time with your children. He's going to catch you when you're having a hard time with your parents. And the devil is out to destroy. He wants to confront you. He wants to stop you. And he's looking for your weakness because that's the time that he will strike. Number one, I see in verse 18, I see the confrontation. The enemy is going to confront you this week and it will be, without a doubt, it will be when you least expect it. It'll be when you're not prepared. It'll be when you're struggling. It'll be when you're already upset and something else happens and the devil wants to see if he can get you to lose your temper. The devil wants you to say something that you shouldn't say. He wants you to go somewhere you wouldn't go. He wants you to be involved in something that normally you wouldn't do. But if he can catch you in your weakness, he will. Notice what David says. The enemy prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord. Aren't you glad for that phrase? But the Lord. This week, in the day of your calamity, in the time of your weakness, in the moment of your, your, your burden, in the moment of your valley, but the Lord is there. And don't ever forget, he's always been there. He's always going to be there. He's not going to leave you. You might be at your weakest, but when you are at your weakest, he is still strong. When you are at your worst, he is at his best. And God, in the day of calamity, David says, he was my stay. That word stay, it means he was my support. Have you ever had a day when you thought, I can't even stand up, I'm so tired? Have you ever had a day, I feel like I can't even lift my head up, I'm so discouraged? Well, guess what? You're not going to stand on your own, and you're not going to keep going on your own. You're going to need some support. And I'm glad to tell you, I know a good support who can help you in your trial. The Lord, David said, is my stay. He is my support. I see, number one, the confrontation. Number two, I see the control. I love this, verse 19. It says, he, that is God, he brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. 
Now, David says that God brought him into a large place. Mean, it, it literally means a broad place. And, and here's the idea. David said, I felt like I was so tight. I felt like I was pressed in. I felt like everything was closing down on me. Felt like I couldn't move. And then freedom. God brought me into a, a large place. He brought me into a place where I could breathe again. He brought me into a place of freedom. Now, I don't, I don't, know, how, I don't know how to explain this to, to some of you. Maybe you're not like this. But if you have ever been or if you've ever experienced being claustrophobic, isn't it a blessing when you get out of that spot? I have. I don't, and I don't even know if I've told my wife this. She's not really interested in hearing about it first thing in the morning. But I have, I have some bad dreams. One bad dream that I have, and by the way, is there, you know, does anybody else have like bad dreams like, like scare you wake up? You're like, oh, thank the Lord that didn't happen. One dream I have is that I'm getting ready to stand up to preach and I have no idea what I'm going to say. And I, I don't, I, my Bible's there, but I can't, my, my notes aren't there. And then it's not just that my notes aren't there, but in my dream, it's like, I didn't even study. It's like, I had no, I, I've got nothing. And I get up and it's, it's a terrible feeling. For those of you that, that, that speak for work and all that, I'm sure that's been a fear sometimes. But that's one dream. I'll tell you another dream, and I, I've not had a lot of experiences with this, but I've had a few dreams where I am like in a, a tight spot, and I don't like it. I, I mean, it, it's one of those things where I'm like, I can't get out of here. I'm like in a, a, a tunnel or something or whatever. And I'm telling you, that's a bad feeling. And that's just my dream. That's not even real life. But sometimes in life, we get in some tight spots, don't we? We get in some, some spots where we feel like we can't move. We get in some spots where we feel like we are bound. Where we are, we are tied down, we are pressed out, we got the weight of the world on us. You say, Pastor, that's me tonight. That, you're talking to me. Well, I got news for you. God delivered David when he had the whole kingdom turning on him. He had the whole army out looking for him. He was being hunted like an animal. And he said, I was tight. I was in a tight spot. But he said, praise God. He delivered me. He put me in a broad place, David says, because he delighted in me. Number two, I see the control. David recognizes that God was in control. David was not in control. He was in a tight spot. But God delivered him and put him in a large place. Number three, I see in verse 20, I see the crowning. It says in verse number 20, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, hath he recompensed me. I was amazed when, when COVID hit. I was amazed at how everybody was talking about, you got to wash your hands. Like that was some new concept. And I, here I am, I'm in shock. Like, does nobody know this? I mean, seriously, nobody else knows you're supposed to wash your hands? And maybe, and maybe everybody did, and maybe it just seemed, but it seemed to me like this was a revolutionary breakthrough idea, wash your hands. And so what did people do? Oh, you got to wash your hands. And you should wash your hands. And what do you got to do? You got to get hand sanitizer. I mean, we were bathing in the stuff practically, you know? Uh, I still, to this day, there's certain hand sanitizers 
I will use, and I'll think, I remember when we were out in the parking lot, we couldn't even come in the auditorium. You know, that's what it reminds me of that. But you know what we ought to do every day? We ought to wash our hands spiritually. Because God's looking for clean hands. God's looking for people that are right. And the Bible says God rewards us according to our righteousness and according to our cleanliness of our heart. Now, man rewards many times based on results. Is that not true at work? If you perform and you accomplish this, you will get the reward. And there's nothing wrong with that. But see, man doesn't see your heart. Man doesn't see the effort and man doesn't see the inside. So man rewards based upon results. But God does not reward that way. God rewards holiness. God rewards faithfulness. The Bible says in Hebrews that God rewards those who diligently seek him. And the more you seek God, the more you're going to have clean hands because the closer you get to God, the more you're going to realize what a wretch you are. And what a wretch I am. We're a bunch of sinners, been saved by grace. And so the closer you get to God, the more you're going to say, my hands are still dirty. My heart is still dirty. God cleanse me. God search me. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. We see number three, the crowning, the rewarding. God rewards not results, but God rewards holiness and God rewards faithfulness. The results are up to him. I'm glad God does not judge according to results because if that were the case, I'll use uh, Natalie as an example. We voted on your family tonight. They're in Mexico. They're, they're reaching people in Mexico. They're seeing people saved in Mexico. People are, 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 are ripe for, for the gospel and getting saved. And we just had last week, we had the Wyatts. Wasn't that wonderful to see all these people getting saved and thousands of people at a stadium crusade? And I told Jerry, I said, I wish you'd, I wish you'd talk about it, but that video, that did not even do it justice. That stadium crusade uh, was just a drop in the bucket compared to past crusades where they have packed those places out. But can I tell you, there are some mission fields where missionaries that love God, missionaries that are faithful, missionaries that are holy and right, They'll work a whole year and maybe see one person saved. They'll work a whole year and not see anybody saved. So God doesn't judge and God doesn't reward based on results. You leave the results up to him. You just be faithful. I just be faithful. We just stay right with God. God will take care of the results. You take care of keeping your hands clean and keeping your heart right with God. God will take care of the results. Number three, the crowning. Number four, uh, the, the, the cleanliness or the, the cleanness of our hands. Verse number 21, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Now, to depart from God is wicked. And so if a person is wicked, we would say they have departed from God. Hebrews 3 says this, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Say, what's this talking about? Well, I believe if it's wicked to depart from God, then of course it's righteous to stay close to God, right? And that makes sense. So how do we stay close to God? Well, you got to walk with him. You got to talk with him. You got to read his word. You got to pray. You can't just say, yeah, me and God, we're real, we're, we're real close. Okay, well... You can say that, but what are you doing to keep that closest? What am I doing to, to, uh, to nurture that relationship with God every day? 
Say, Pastor, I'm here. I've been saved for 40 years. I don't have to walk with God anymore. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, I do. Walking with God and staying close to God is what keeps you from evil. And walking with God and, and, and staying close to God is what keeps you from wickedness. Don't depart from the way of the Lord. Psalm 34 says this, depart from evil and do good. Proverbs 14 says, a wise man feareth and departeth from evil. Verse number, uh, Proverbs 16, 6, by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Depart from evil, don't depart from God. And then verse 22, David says, for all his judgments, all the judgments of God, that word judgments is God's decisions, uh, what God decides, how he judges, all of his judgments were before me. And I did not put away his statutes from me. David said, I'm trying to keep all that God has for me. I'm trying to keep it right in front of me. Now, now you've heard the expression. We use it often. But if something is out of sight, then it is often out of mind, right? So what do you do? You keep it in front of you. I have in my office, I've got... Um, a lot of pictures of my family. You know why? Because I love my family. And I, whenever I see those pictures, I'll thank God for my family. I'll pray for my family. I, I love them. So I keep them in front of me. Now, I got this one guy that I went to school with. Let's see, he was back in third grade. He was in the school for six weeks. And uh, yeah, I don't have his picture in my office. You know why? Because that's not the person that I'm focused on. I'm focused on my family. I'm thankful for my family. I love them. I thank God for them. So why do I have those pictures in my office? Because it helps me to be conscious of what really matters. David says, I'm keeping the word of God before me. I have on my desk, and I've, if you've ever seen my desk during the week, there's a lot of stuff on it. I try to clear it off for Sunday, so at least it looks halfway decent. But I'll tell you something you'll always see on my desk. There's always a Bible on there. You say, how come? Well, for one, I use it. <laughs> but for two, I don't ever want this to be something. Oh, yeah, where's that Bible? I need to pull that out. I might need to read that. You know, it'd be good to keep a Bible in your house somewhere where you can see it. It'd be a good reminder for you to read it. It'd be a good reminder for us to keep it in front of us. Some of you have scripture on the wall or, 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 or a verse on your refrigerator or whatever it is. Why do you do that? You keep it before you. David says, I've kept your judgments before me. Verse number 22, I did not put away his statutes from me. Verse 23, David says, I was also upright before him and I kept myself from mine iniquity. No matter what people thought of David, David believed with his heart, he believed that he was pleasing God. He believed that he could stand before God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I know I'm not perfect, but God, I've done my best. And you know what you and I are gonna have to do? We're going to have to realize that we're not going to please everybody. But we ought to please God. Galatians says it like this. Paul said, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. I think we get very much concerned with what everybody else thinks. Sometimes we fail to consider what does God think? Uh, am I pleasing God with this decision? Am I pleasing God with this action? Am I pleasing God with this habit? I see number six in verse 23, the word is complete. David believed that he was complete. The word upright, he said, I, I believe I am complete in the Lord. I believe I'm doing what God 
wants me to do. David says, I have kept myself, verse number uh, 23, I have kept myself from mine iniquity. Now that word keep, it, it means to guard or protect. But David says, I've had to guard or protect myself from iniquity. Now obviously, David... In some cases in his life, he did keep himself from iniquity. Remember the opportunity that he had when he was back in the cave and Saul and his men came and Saul himself came into that cave to sleep and David was tucked back in that cave and he had the opportunity. He could have taken out Saul. He could have been, he could have been done with Saul, but he didn't do it. And after Saul and his men left, David let it be known that he could have done it, but he didn't hurt Saul. He said, I'm not going to touch God's anointing. I'm going to let God take care of him. David protected himself in that moment. He protected himself from iniquity. There was another moment in David's life where he did not protect himself from iniquity. You know the story of Bathsheba. Can I tell you, we all have to work every day and ask God to help us to guard ourselves from sin, the sin that doth so easily beset us, the sin that hinders, the sin that separates us from God. It is a great blessing when we can be successful in guarding our lives from sin. Proverbs says it like this, keep thy heart, guard your heart with all diligence. Jesus gave the model prayer to his disciples and he said, when you pray, pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from evil. We need God's help to protect ourselves from sin. Verse 24, I want you to notice the similarity to verse 24 and verse 20. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed or rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. It's amazing that God would reward us at all. Isn't that amazing to think that there will come a day we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will receive rewards for what we've done? We know in Revelation 4 that we'll receive those crowns and what will we do with those crowns? We'll cast them at the feet of Jesus, right? Reminds me of uh, an example maybe of a student or I think of a, a, an athlete. That athlete will be at that award ceremony. Brother Dan, would you mind checking that air? I was already warm before it kicked off. Is anybody else getting warm? Only five of you? Even if you're not warm, would you mind raising your hand? <laughs> maybe just one degree, Brother Dan. Don't freeze us out. I Actually, I thought about this. For those of you that were here this past May, we had our, our first graduation for Victory Christian Academy. We had three graduates that came up here and three graduates that received their diploma. I thought it was kind of neat that for Mark Bybee, who was up here giving him that diploma and that task, doing the tassel, mom and dad. You know, mom and dad didn't get a diploma. Although I think they did a lot of work to get him to that point in his life. And if you know Mark Bybee, you know they really did a lot of work, right? But the parents didn't get the award. The parents didn't get the diploma. As a matter of fact, you know what we did? We cheered and we clapped for Mark, and we should. And we do it, we've done it for everybody else. People did it for you. People did it for me. 
But who was responsible for that occasion? It was a mom and dad. It was a pastor. It was a youth pastor. It was some coaches. It was some teachers. It was some, some people who have invested and people that have taught in Sunday school and master clubs and junior church and all that throughout the years. But yet, at the end of the day, who's getting the award? It's, it's Mark. It's the student. It's amazing to think that God rewards us for anything because he's the one that makes it possible. He's the one that gives you the strength and he's the one that helps you through and he's the one that blesses you. You say, well, I'm just such a talented person. Without the Lord, you and I are zilch. We're nothing. But God rewarded David according to his righteousness. God saw and God recognized David's righteousness. Number uh, seven, I see the consideration in verse 25. With a merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the froward, thou wilt show thyself froward. Now hang on. Uh, is, is, is God ever not pure? No, of course not. He's always pure. Is God ever froward? This word froward in this verse, it, it, it means, first it means perverse. But in the second time it's used about God, it's not talking about being perverse. It's talking about being shrewd, being, being very wise in how he deals with people. We see in this the consideration. This evening, I desire the mercies of God. I think you do too. Well, here's what this verse says. With the merciful, God says, I'll show myself merciful. We desire the mercy of God, then we should display mercy to others. Do you desire for, to, to be right with God? And do you desire for God to treat you right? Then you ought to treat others right. Matthew 18, if you'll turn there in your Bibles, I think we'll, we'll wrap up with this and we'll be done. But here is an amazing parable in Matthew chapter 18. Verse number 23, we find that there was a man. Verse 23, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. Verse 26 of Matthew 18. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Uh, I almost can't, read this passage without thinking about that skit you guys did, Brother Nathan, during COVID, you and Caleb and Jared and Mark. I mean, that was, that was something else, I'll tell you that much. Verse 27, then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant, he went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him. And he took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Verse 30, And he would not. But he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Verse 32, Then his Lord. After that he had called him, he said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredst me. 
shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Here the king says, wait a second. I forgave you much more than this. You deserve to be in jail, and I forgave you that. And then you went to this friend that owed you a little bit, and you couldn't show mercy on that person when I showed you mercy on all the debt that you owed. And in uh, Psalm 18, here's what God is saying. If you want to receive mercy, you better show some mercy. If you want God to deal with you in a merciful way, in a good way, you ought to deal with people the same way. Calvin, in his commentary, he wrote this about those who are froward in their treatment of people and then God treating them in a like manner. He says, this brutish and monstrous stupidity in men compels God to invent new modes of expression. In Leviticus 26, God says, and if ye walk contrary unto me, then will I also walk contrary with you. You see, it's possible that your stubbornness or my stubbornness could cause God to deal with us differently than he normally would. Here's a great illustration. Do you remember the story of Pharaoh in Egypt? What does the Bible say about Pharaoh with all those plagues? He hardened his heart. And he hardened his heart. And what finally came upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians? Not just flies. Not just water turned to blood. Not just an overabundance of frogs and locusts. But the death of the firstborn with the Passover. Not only that, but then they decided, we're still going after these Israelites. And they, Pharaoh and his army, drowned in the Red Sea. That was a nation that hardened their heart against God. How about this nation? How about the nation of Nineveh? They were a wicked nation. They did things far worse to God's people than Pharaoh ever did. Pharaoh assigned taskmasters, the Assyrians and the Ninevites. They executed, they tortured, they took slaves of the children of Israel. They demolished entire cities, killing everybody. But yet, a preacher went to Nineveh, and he preached. I don't think Jonah thought they would listen. But you know what he knew? knew that God was merciful. The people of Nineveh repented. And God spared that city. A city, a, a nation much more wicked than Egypt would ever be. What was the difference? One repented. And one said, we're going to harden our hearts. I guess here's what I'm saying. Is that God's going to deal with you and God's going to deal with me exactly how he wants to deal with us because he's God and he's always right. He's never made a mistake. And we'll never be able to say, you know, God, you didn't do that right. Oh, no. He does all things well. He does all things perfect. But God may change the way he deals with you according to how you and I deal with others. That's convicting. Because we always want mercy shown to us. 
Sometimes we're not very quick to show mercy to others, are we? May God help us. David says, with the merciful God, you will show yourself merciful. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.